Uh, my name is Bob Nowak. I'm an elder here, and I, I wanted to read uh, the passage tonight before um, Eric comes and preaches. So we're in Colossians, starting at 2.20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene uh, talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We love the word here at River West Church. We also love the sound of Bob's voice, so we ask him to read sometime. My name's Eric. Great to see you tonight. Are you well? Well, ish, okay. We'll work on that. Um, happy Father's Day again to dads, granddads, stepdads, foster dads, mentors, spiritual fathers. We, um, we honor you today, and um, we're grateful that you're here. Our, our aim, our goal is for each one of us that you'd leave this place more encouraged than when you came in. And, uh, and I hope that that will be true, and I believe it will because we're opening God's Word together. Um, it's been a full week in the Johnson family. When I say that, I'm referring to my own family. You don't know me. Um, we celebrated some birthdays this week. My sweet wife had a birthday. Uh, our youngest, our little guy, Nash, turned two, which was fun. We threw him a party, or more accurately, we threw ourselves a party because we've mostly kept him uninjured for these last two years of his life. And he is like, he's like, he loves danger, so it was a success. it's been a successful two years, I'll just put it that way, and we're, we're really grateful for him, so we celebrated that this, this, uh, this week, threw him a party, um, which, and this is such a dad thing to say, but like when you're a dad throwing your two-year-old a party, you're thinking, there's not a chance in the world he's going to remember this, but you do it. Anyways, I think you know what I mean, like, it's like, they're one, they don't know, and um, but we did. We did, and it was great. And um, it's Father's Day. You know, I really, really, really love my children. Each one of them, they're amazing, unique, gifted. And, uh, and being their dad is one of the greatest privileges in my life, and yet constantly reveals with infinite clarity the deficiencies, <laughs> the uh, insecurities, the selfishness, and maybe we'll just call it what it is, the sin in my own life. Being a dad just kind of 
amplifies that. I'd like to think of it as being, being a dad awakens this desire and need to be transformed. Even if, if you're, even if you're as a dad are just slightly paying attention to what's happening, you'll realize, man, something needs to change. And it's not just dads. This is the human condition. To be a human being, I believe, is to long to be transformed. To be a human being is 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 simply to live and to notice that there's something that has gone wrong. You know, we teach, um, we teach the Bible here at River West, and we teach doctrines of the Bible. And the doctrine of sin, we really believe, is actually the only doctrine that we could prove to you empirically. To be human is to look around and to say, there's something wrong. And I think to be honest is to look around and say, it's not just out there, it's actually in here. And uh, like I said, happy Father's Day. We're talking about sin tonight. And that's because it's where we are in the text. You know, the, the, the passage we read tonight, we ended in, in, um, in chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, Paul is, what he's doing is he's presenting a way that the Colossian church was, was tempted to think about how are we going to deal with the sin in our life. I'll read it to you again in verse 23. This, this, is, this is what Paul says. This is these, this, this way of living indeed has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Basically tonight, we, uh, the scriptures bring us to a realization that God has actually said there's two ways to deal with your sin. One involves only you. And this, he would literally lump every category into this. Or Christ in you. And so what we'll look at and discover tonight, I think, is, is how does this reality of Christ in me work its way out in the sins and the struggles of our lives? And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at three questions as we think about sin, as we think about our need for transformation. These are three questions you might want to write down. I think the scriptures really clearly point this out to us tonight, and it, and it is this. Question one is, what has changed? Question two is, what needs to change? And question three is, what will change? So we're going to start with what has changed. This passage uniquely is about something that has happened to us. I love verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. The basis for any change, for any transformation in the life of someone who is in Christ is the reality that they have been raised with Christ. Now this is what is called a passive verb. What that means is that nobody has raised themselves with Christ. This is God's action. This is what he has done in us. This is what he has done for us. You don't raise yourself. He raises you. This idea of being, as as we read as well, being dead with Christ and raised with Christ, these are big and, and lofty theological ideas. I did a lot of study this week and... um It's challenging to understand all the dimensions of what it means, and my goal is not to give you a perfect understanding tonight of what they mean, but 
my hope is that as we explore it more fully, that we will be more in awe of what God has done for us as he's raised us with Christ. And there's this beautiful picture in verse 3, and I want to draw your attention there for just a few moments. Verse 3 gives us this amazing picture of, of, of what God has done and what he is doing in us. Verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a vivid picture of this new reality that has happened to us. What has changed, Paul says, is that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's explore that together. I think that what that means is at least three things. What has changed is that our lives is hidden with God, and, and, and it brings up three different words about our, about our new life. The first word is this, proximity. Second word is security. And the third is identity. When Paul says that our lives are hidden with Christ, he's talking about proximity. What do I mean by that? He's, Paul is saying that God has drawn near to us in Christ. What Paul is saying, I, I really believe, is that to be hidden in Christ means to have a relationship with God that is in and through Christ. In Christ, we are brought near. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all testify to that an event actually happened at the moment that Jesus died. Maybe you've read it in the Gospels. You've heard the phrase, and, and the curtain was torn in two. The curtain was um, a portion of the temple that, that really signified and illustrated the distance between human beings and God that we've created in our sin. There's actually a distance between us. There's a gap that we're unable to bridge. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say at that moment that Christ died, that curtain was torn in two. So what does it mean to be hidden in Christ? It means to be near him. A name for Christ is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is proximity. This is nearness. This is closeness. Hidden with Christ, another way of saying in Christ, means that he is near to us. Because of that reality, because of the reality that God is near to us, Paul is correcting something in, in, in this passage. He's correcting an idea that the Colossians were tempted to believe, that, that if, they were, if they beat their bodies into submission or if they engaged in what he calls self-made religion, that they could make a way to God. And Paul says, no. In Christ, God has drawn near to us and our lives are hidden in him. So the second thing is security. Our relationship with Christ is, is hidden in Christ means that our relationship with him is secure. It's an unbreakable bond. Maybe some of you, um, this is kind of my experience growing up, maybe you grew up in a theological environment that constantly said, um, you're backslidden, you need to get right with God. Maybe you were in a theological, my, my environment was, that we would, you know, we would pray the sinner's prayer many times a year. <laughs> Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You backslid and you come to the altar, you get right with God. It's this 
paralyzing, I think, belief that, that there is no security in our relationship with God that is in Christ. But what I think that Paul is saying when he says that you're hidden in Christ, I believe that one of the things he wants us to know is that we're secure in him. We have a relationship with him that, that isn't broken. And, and you may say, well, I'm fickle and I'm prone to wander. But the reality is, is that God isn't. He's more committed to you than you could possibly know. And we're hidden in Christ. We're secure in him. Will you believe that tonight? I think a lot of our life is spent not believing that. Thinking that we're in this fragile standing with God and, and he would say, no, you're hidden with me. So it's a closeness and nearness. It's a security. He's not only near to you, he'll never leave you. But it's also an identity. To be hidden in Christ means that we're a new creation. I think one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as, as followers of Jesus is, do we believe what God says about us? Here's another way to ask that question is, what do you think God sees when he sees you? When God looks at you, what does he see? I love this. You should write this down. You should know this. You should believe it fully. And it's this. As God the Father sees Christ the Son, so he sees you. God sees you in Christ. And what does God say about us? As we're, as we're hidden in him and as we have this identity in him. If he sees us as he sees his son, that means that your identity is a son or a daughter of God in Christ. Hidden in Christ. It's amazing how much of our lives, I think that we can all relate to this, um, we, we live out of the identity that somebody else has given us. Sadly, you know, maybe on a day like this, the identity that your father gave you is, is something that has dragged you down and, and held you back in your life. You've been told you're not good enough. You'll never succeed. You've experienced that in a peer group. Maybe you've experienced that from family members of enemies. And we believe the, the identities that others put on us. And to be hidden in Christ is to be invited into the reality that the truest thing about you is what he has said. Your son, your daughter. Proximity, security, and identity. This is what's changed in us. This is what God has changed. So with question one being, what has changed? What does this passage tell us that has changed? The answer is actually everything. Everything has changed. Because of what God has done in Christ, when we look at our lives, everything has changed. And yet, to be in Christ, I think, is, is to recognize that this is an ongoing project. Being in Christ, I think, awakens us to not only what has changed, but what still needs to be changed. Recently, my family moved. We moved um, like just a few houses down the street. 
It's a huge process to moving. I honestly hate it and love it at the same time. If you moved, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's moved. It's the worst and the best. Uh, the thing that I love about moving is getting rid of everything. Like, I would prefer to have nothing. Like, my wife loves furniture, and she wants to fill our house with furniture. I'd love to have just a dumpster permanently stationed outside of my house and just throwing trash away. And I love moving, too, because there's the secret. Like, maybe if you're a parent, there's the secret trip to Goodwill. Do you know what I'm talking about? That you hide from your kids? They're like, where's my toy? I'm like, I don't know. Nash ate it. But you, you, you load the stuff in the car. You get rid of it. I love all that stuff about moving. You know, you have this fresh start. But then there's the paperwork. And uh, like we bought a new house, so there's a lot of paperwork. And then there's the shameful phone calls or text messages to your friends asking them to help you move. And that sucks big time. And you, you know, you have to engage in all these things that you don't want to do with the boxes that you have to pack up that may never get unpacked once you move. You know, one of the key, one of the key moments, one of the key um, crucial parts of of a move is handing the keys over, right? You know, it's sort of like, it's like, it's symbolic. It's almost like in a wedding when they exchange rings. Like when you hand the keys over, it's a, it's a big moment. Whether you're renting, whether you're selling a home, buying a new home, handing a keys, or maybe you're selling a car. It's like the keys represent something significant. The story's going somewhere, I promise. So when I after we moved, after we moved from our old house to the new house, very shortly after we moved, I realized something in that I had actually still had one of the keys to the old house in my possession. And for some reason, it terrified me. For some reason, I felt just dirty and icky. I was like, oh, this, this is like, this, this key represents something that isn't true of my life anymore. I don't, I don't live in that house anymore. And I still have this key. And so I panicked, but really it was simple. I called the realtor, called the realtor, got them the key back. It's a simple change. Really, it's, it's just no harm, no foul. We worked through it. But I think to be alive in Christ, when we notice that everything has changed, we also become hyper-aware of what still needs to change. Paul, in, in this passage, is writing to people that follow Jesus. He's writing to people that love each other. He's writing to a group of people that have experienced um, community, experienced new life together. And yet, did you notice that like half of this passage is about sin? Let's look at it again in verse 5, chapter 3. Paul says this. He says, put to death... To death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We've seen what has changed, but Paul says there's still something that needs to change. Did you notice when he's talked about the old self and its practices? I want, I want, to, I want to say this well, so I'm going, to, I'm going to read this 
to you. The old self is your whole life apart from God. It's not the things you do. It's actually who you were before God saved you. The old self. This is our identification, our our, our life before Christ steps in and saves us. And Paul says, that has died. But then he starts talking about the practices. There's, 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 not, there's the old self which is dead. And I know this is, this is theological. The old self dies. But there's a lifestyle and a way of living. There's sin. We'll, we'll put it in a word. That even though the old self has died, we're, we're drawn to. We're prone to. These practices, they correspond with that life. It's that lifestyle. And Paul gives us a couple lists here of, of sins, vices that we, that we read and, and I think we resonate with. The first one talks about sexual immorality. It talks about passion, which is really another word for lust. It talks about evil desires. And evil desires is not just that we do wrong things, it's that we love the wrong things. Then he broadens it in that list he, to coveting. He says that we're, coveting is obsessively wanting what we don't have. And he ends that list by saying it's actually idolatry. Actually, that what's, what's wrong with the old self, which has died, is that it's worshiping the wrong God. The worship is not devoted to your creator. And that's why the old self, as Paul talks about, is, is powerless to defeat sin. It's powerless to cease to be enslaved to the sin and desires it experiences. And Paul says, in Christ, the old self has died. The list goes on. The second list is, the first list, if it describes what is wrong in our hearts, what's wrong in us, the second list describes how that plays out in our relationships. Did you notice the the list? He says, um, anger. This is in verse 8. Anger, that constant state of anger. Wrath, which is a desire to repay evil for evil. Malice, slander, and obscene talk that comes out of our mouths. Paul's saying, even in Christ, we're prone towards these things. Even in Christ, we deal with this. There's a 100% chance that each one of you are dealing with at least one of these right now, including me. It tells us that the, the, while something has changed, there's, there's a change that is ongoing, that needs to continue, needs to keep happening. We're not done yet. God is still doing something in us, through us. You know, we, next week, this is a bit of a two-part sermon. Next week, we're, this week we're talking about sins that, that Paul says we need to put off. And next week, we're going to talk about the virtues that Paul says to put on. And why not start with the good stuff? Really, I mean, it's Father's Day. Why not switch the order? 
why not start with, with the things that we should be doing rather than starting with the things that we shouldn't? You know, in my, in my household, one of our most recent ongoing projects is gardening. This is happening in my house. Where the desire is that we would be able to grow wonderful organic vegetables so that we can feed our kids and impress our friends and our neighbors. You know, it's like every, it's all mixed motives, right? But um, that's our desire. That, Anne-Marie and I, and so we, 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 this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow these vegetables. I don't even know what half of what we planted is. I'm just putting water in it. But if you've done any gardening, and the chances of you having done more gardening than me is pretty high. But um, if you've done any of that, you know that before new life can sprout up, before, um, before you can literally eat the fruit of your labor, Something's got to be pulled up, right? Like we walked up to those garden beds and said, this isn't a good situation currently. So there's tilling, you know, you're, you're turning the dirt over, you're pulling the weeds out. Even now, even now, like the, 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 the lettuce is starting to grow, but the slugs are eating it. You know what I'm talking about? So I bought sluggo for the first, do you know what I'm talking Does anybody? Like, you know where I'm going with this. It's an ongoing project. But before, and I think even this, Paul knows, the scriptures know, before we're going to see the fruit of what God is wanting to do in our life, there's some weeds that need to be pulled. There's something that needs to change. And Paul says, I want you to put off this stuff. Before, I'm going to tell you what I want you to put on, but I want you to put off these things, sexual immorality, impurity, coveting, idolatry, our, our propensity to worship something Someone other than God. Paul says, I want you to put that off. I'm going to pull those weeds out. And honestly, as I studied this passage, I longed for a three-step plan, right, of how we're going to do that. Put off the old self. Give me that in like three steps. And we don't get it. But here's what we do see. And I want, and I, and I want you to see this tonight. In verse 1, Paul is giving us our instructions of how we should live in Christ. Verse 1, he starts by saying, if you've been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. In verse 2, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That may sound a bit abstract, but what Paul is saying, he says, if you're going to put off the old self, He says, look to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Seek him. N.T. Wright, the biblical scholar, says this. I want you to listen to this. This is good. He says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Isn't that true? We become like what we are looking at. Wouldn't that mean that we should be really careful of of what we're looking at, of what we're setting our minds on? Paul is saying, if you set your mind on, if you set your gaze on Christ, 
He's going to transform you. He's going to do something in you that you can't do on your own. I think sometimes we need, this isn't, so this isn't like, a, like just a mental ascent of I'm, I'm learning everything. It's, it's deeper than that. I think that we need to learn how to say, wow, thank you, Jesus. I love what N.T. Wright says in this. He says, when you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something. I was at my sister's church in Nashville a few weeks ago, and it's the South, so they know how to express excitement, unlike us. And I kid you not, this, this happened. Somebody was reading the Bible, the, the preacher, he was reading the Bible. He read a verse, and a woman sitting next to me just goes, wow. Like, when was the last time that happened? That's like my goal, is that not even that you would say like, oh, wow, that was a great point, but that, like Bob would come up and read the scriptures, and you would say, whoa, this is true. This is good. That begins to happen as we look to Jesus. As we look to him, as we focus our minds and our eyes on him, we begin to put off the old self. We begin to put away the sins that so often entangle us. I think the more we say, wow, to Jesus, the more we say, gross, to these sins that tempt us. Do you know what I mean by that? I think that the old song got it right. I actually do. Do you remember it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then what? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What are the things of earth? The things of earth, and, and uh, this is exactly what our passage is talking about. The things of earth are sexual impurity and coveting and idolatry, lying, all these things. This is the things of earth. And, and what the song teaches us, which I really do believe comes from this passage of Scripture, saying that as we look to Christ, we're going to begin to put off those things. So how are we going to engage in this change? It's, there's one point. You, you look to Jesus. That's where we start. We seek him. We set our minds on him. And he begins to do that in us. We begin to not just do the right thing, but to love the right thing. As our lives are hidden in him, as our minds and our, and our hearts and our eyes are focused on him, he changes us. Not just our appearance, but he changes us from the inside out. So what has changed? Everything. <laughs> what needs to change? A lot. But this is happening. God's doing this in our lives as we, as we look to Christ. But we have to see, and I think we have to know, we have to be filled with this hope. And it centers around our last question. What will change? Verse 4 says this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is right after Paul talks about being hidden in Christ. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This is our hope. 
there's an end to the struggle. You need to know that. There will come a day when every tear will be wiped away, when the sin and pain of the earth will be eradicated, as Jesus will return. Our hope is built on the life, death, resurrection, ascension. Remember, Jesus is seated at the right hand, but also the hope that he will return one day. And one of the main projects that he's finishing in his return is you and me. I love Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What has changed? We're hidden in Christ. What is changing is the desires, the longings that we have are being transformed to the likeness of Christ. That's an ongoing project, but it's one that God will finish. So we have a hope. When you and I experience temptation in our life, it actually means that God is doing something in us, that he's done something in us. When something comes up in in your mind or you're tempted to do something and you say, whoa, what was that? Rather than feeling just despair and dismay, maybe stop and recognize Christ is in me and, and that is the old way. That is the old way of living. And the further, the further along we get in following Jesus, the more aware of what he's done and what he's doing will be in us. And we will be filled with a hope. Hope is faith for the future. We'll be filled with a hope that God is going to complete this work that he started in us. He's committed to us. We can be secure in that. He's near to us. He loves us. So what I want to invite you to do on this Father's Day, as we've talked about sin, <laughs> is, to, is to embrace those truths, to live in them, to look to Jesus. Tonight we'll come to the table together. What a great vision of Christ, his body sacrificed for us, his blood spilled for us. We come as a community of people who have recognized what he's done. And we recognize our ongoing need for grace. And we long for his return.